That's here for city groups. It's all about relationship, you guys. You need to be in a city group. I can tell you my greatest growth in life has been in city groups and the greatest, uh, should I say, support when I've gone through tough times has been through the small groups. So just want to encourage you to be part of that. Uh, as we said earlier, today is 9-11, and we just want to thank God for his goodness and his mercy on our nation. But we need to remember to not forget our history. So in that line, we don't want to forget our history of Harbor City Church. And that's why you need to be part of the anniversary banquet. There's still room for 40 seats. So if you want to be part of that, please sign up at the Connection Center or online, but they will go quickly. So there's two weeks left or three weeks left, and then they're gone. So I think you have just two weeks, not even that, 10 days to get signed up. So please do that so you can uh, be part of what we're doing. Just to let you know, again, that, that night, uh, Friday night, we have some special speakers. We have a video of our past history, and it's going to be a fun night. We have some great music. We have actually a jazz band coming. It'll be fun. And, and it is kind of semi-formal, so it'll be fun for you to dress up a little bit and be part of that. And then don't forget Saturday at uh, 1.30 to 3.30, the skating. Hope everybody will come up for that. And then Sunday morning, we have two special speakers. I'll tell you about more in days ahead. Also, Pursuit Women's Brunch this Saturday, 9.17, 9.30 a.m. Sign up in the Connection Center, and hopefully you'll have a great time there as well. Okay, with that in mind, let me just say welcome, everybody. So glad you're here, those online as well. In a moment, we're going to turn to James 4 and 1 John 2. And we've been in a series called How Do I Know? Today is the last sermon of that series. And just in review... And first week, uh, first week we did, how do I know there is a God? And that's a question a lot of people are asking. These days, they're looking for God. They just don't know which one to turn to. Part two, we did, how do I know the Bible is reliable? There are a lot of religious books out there. What sets the Bible apart from them? How do I know God's voice? God wants you to hear his voice. He's given you spiritual ears to be able to hear. How do I know God's love or God loves me? How do I know Jesus is the only way? And then last week you heard, how do I know God's purpose for my life? And today I want to close it out with, how do I know God's will? And I think that's a question many uh, Christians are asking, as well as the world. But I want you to know this, God has great things planned for your life. And the best way to know God's will is to uh, live a surrendered life in his will. All right? So let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive and is powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be. I can have all it says I can have. Today, by faith, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go do this or that, uh, go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. I love this next question. What is your life? And most of us think it's about the school I'm going to go to school at or the college I'm going to go to school at or who I'm going to marry or should I eat donuts after this service? The answer to that is yes, you should. I give you permission. I'm going to eat some as well. But I love this next statement. It says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In other words, it's like steam coming off a, a, a boiling pot on the stove. You see it for a moment and then it's gone. So the best questions are not the temporal questions. The best questions are the eternal questions. So it says here, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, I just want to align my will with God's will in my life. And the reason we want that is because 1 John 2.17 says, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So as your pastor, I want to give you some help uh, today because I know some of you are making big decisions, major decisions with your life, and you are in a decision dilemma, all right? And uh, you're like, uh, remember when you were a little kid, the big thing was, it's about what sport I'm going to play. Am I going to play baseball or basketball or football or all three, or am I going to do basket weaving, chess or checkers, something like that? But then it became, which college am I going to go to? Which major am I going to major in? And uh, then who do I marry? Do I marry him or her and all that stuff? And then you get married and it's, uh, how many kids do we want to have? Do we want one, two, three, four, five? I told us we wanted five. She said she only wanted two. We had two. (laughs) Do we buy a house or rent a house for a while? Uh, Do we get a dog or a cat? I can just tell you God's will on that right now. Get a dog. Dogs are from heaven. Cats are from... (laughs) All right. Welcome to Harbor City Church. Here we go. So as we go through life, we face all sorts of dilemmas that we need God's will on, and there are a lot of bad methods that Many people try, even as Christians, like the fleece method. How many have ever heard of the fleece method? Gideon did it, and it worked for him. That's the only place where I see the fleece method really working. But this is where you bargain with God, and you tell him, if you make it rain, and tell, uh, uh, then I know the answer is yes. If the sun shines, then I know it's no. If you try that method, you have an 80% chance of a yes here on the harbor. So if you're looking for a yes, you can try that. But it's kind of like the guy who was pulling up to Krispy Kreme in the parking lot, and he said this, Lord, if it's your will for me to buy a dozen donuts, then I believe you're going to open up a spot right in front of the store. And sure enough, after his fourth time around the parking lot, there was the spot. (laughs) 
not the best method. All right. <laughs> then there is the flip and point method. This is where you take your Bible, flip it open, and point to a verse. This is where you say, Lord, I believe you're going to show me the right verse. Like the guy who did this, and he flipped, uh, he flipped to 1 Chronicles 19.4. I think it's on the screen. Uh, it said, Hanan seized David's men, shaved their heads, and cut off their garments in the middle at the buttocks. <laughs> So he didn't like that verse, so he flipped it again, and he came to Luke 10, 37. Go and do likewise. Not the best method, okay? Just so you know. It's not God's will for you to point and shoot and all that stuff, or flip and shoot, all right? So here, here's the best way I know how to explain God's will for us, and I want to give it to you in two parts. First one's theological. The second one is practical. And as my grandma used to say, I'm going to try to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everyone can have one. That's what she would say. So the best way for me to explain this theological uh, will of God is that it's framed. And uh, the best way I know how to use uh, for a picture is golf. How many, know, how many like golf here? How many know what golf is? Okay, as long as you know what golf is, that, that can help you. Well, golf is where you take the ball on the tee, you put it down, and you hit it, and you're trying to go straight down the fairway. We'll say that aisle is a fairway. Uh, and as you go down the fairway, it works if you stay in the fairway, and there's a left side and a right side. On the sides of the fairway is what is called the rough. So in the fairway, the grass is shorter. If you stay in the fairway, you can usually see your ball, find your ball very easily. If you go in the rough, the ball can sometimes get buried in the taller grass and it's harder to hit the ball and sometimes you just have to pitch it back out into the fairway so you can get an easier shot to the green. There are also hazards apart from, the green, or apart from the fairway which can be sand or water. If you get in the sand, I've seen people, how many have ever heard of a strong-willed person? Where you can tell them one thing and I've done this with golfers, I'll say, okay, look, Aim over here, because you're not going to make it over that lip, so aim over here. You just take your lumps and aim over here. Nope, I'm going to do it my way. So they hit it out of the sand trap into the next sand trap. And that's the way it works. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, so, or you get it lost in the, in the water or in the rocks, all those kind of things are uh, what we would call hazard zones. So God's will, theologically speaking, is very similar. There is a zone I need to get you into, the left side, the right, way, uh, right side framed in so that the next shot is easier for your life. So God's will has these two sides. Let me give you the first side. It's the theological side. Number one, the sovereign will of God, meaning what God is doing on the earth no matter what, and you can't stop it. Like Jesus, it said, was coming, uh, would come in the fullness of time. No matter how much man tried to stop it, uh, no matter what king tried to stop Jesus, it wasn't going to stop, and Jesus came right on time in the fullness of time. Jesus was going to die on a cross, and no one could stop it. No man could stop it. Jesus came to die for yours and my sins. He was going to rise on the third day. No man, no demon in hell could stop it. Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell can't stop it. That's what it says. Jesus is coming back for his bride, the church, 
and God knows the time no man does and hell can't stop it. That should give you great hope. There will be a final judgment and accountability of every decision we've ever made according to God's will or against God's will and how we live our lives on this earth. So God is already doing something on the earth and you and I need to know what it is and then we need to cooperate with his sovereign will. Another way to say it is God has a will and we are wanting to know God's will for our lives. Well, God's will for our lives is never outside of his will or what he's doing. So God, so his will and my will should coincide. All right. Now remember, Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, it says this. Uh, Jesus said, really basically, before you ask something for yourself, pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you're saying, Lord, every day you should say, Lord, I want to align my life, my will with what you're doing on the earth first before I ask for anything for my personal will. Help me to align myself with your will. Okay, on the other side of the frame is something we call the moral will of God. So you have the sovereign will, things he's going to do no matter what. The moral will can be defined as what God has already said in his word. In other words, God is never going to put you in a place that is contradictory to his word. And God tells us, he frames in our lives morally by, he tells us, he has so much to say on this area, uh, but he talks about family. He talks about marriage. He talks about parenting. He talks about gender. He talks about education. He talks about work. He talks about finances and budgeting. Now, here's an example about morality in his word that he teaches us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, he tells us this. It is God's will that we abstain from sexual immorality. That means to abstain from any sexual conduct outside of marriage. Don't be mad at me. This is just God's word, okay? So anytime we get out of the fairway and into the rough, the next shot will be harder until you get right with God and get back into the fairway, okay? The shots get harder the longer you stay in the rough. And what happens to many people, they don't only get in the rough, they get behind a tree. Have you ever tried to hit a ball through a tree? No. So those are the two borders or sides of the fairway. But here's the third part you need to write down, the personal will of God. This is, the way to define this is what God desires for my life. So God has a plan for you and a plan for me. It tells us in Jeremiah 29:11, I have, a, you, I have a, uh, a plan for you, a future, and a hope. So God says to each one of us, I want that for your life. You need to get to know me. Uh, God planned for Lois and I and, and the leaders that are here to pastor this church for the last 15 years. Psalms 139 tells us, all the days of your life are ordained for you before they, were e- before they ever came to be. So here is the key, putting all three wills together, the sovereign, the moral, and the personal will of God. Here's what I want you to write down. The more I get to know the sovereign will of God and the more I align myself with the moral will of God, the easier I will be able to discern the personal will of God. Okay, now read that with me again. 
the more I get to know the sovereign will of God and the more I align myself with the moral will of God, the easier I will be able to discern the personal will of God. So that is the theologically or theological side. In other words, before we get specific about my personal will, I need to live my life first in the framework or the fair way of knowing God's sovereign will and moral will so it will be easier for me to know his personal will for my life. Now, to help you get in the fair way today, there are two questions you need to ask and answer. So here's the first one. You need to ask, what am I doing that I should not be doing? I don't like that question. I mean, it, it could be lots of things. Should, should I be looking at cars to buy even though I can't afford to buy the car? Should I be watching this TV show? Something inside of me is telling me no, but I really like the show. So this is a question we should be asking daily, if not hourly, and at least weekly. In fact, do you know what the last two verses in Psalm 139 say? This is where all your days are ordained for your life. He tells us that. And the last two verses say this. Just listen. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. In other words, am I doing anything that hurts you? Am I doing anything that I'm not aware of, but you are? Would you search me and point it out? And if you allow God to do that, he will show you things to help you get back into the fairway of his perfect will. Okay, here's the second question. What am I not doing that I should be doing? Because if God is doing something on the earth, wouldn't it make sense that you and I should be cooperating with it? See, God's will and my will and your will should never be different than God's will. That is why discovering your purpose and your giftings, like Pastor Cameron talked about last week, he said, you need to discover those, and we do that in equip classes. By the way, next week, I think, is 201 in, in first service. I encourage you all to get into that. Learn your gifts. Learn what God shaped you to be because your life will never be fulfilled, uh, feel, uh, be in fulfillment, and you have that feeling of fulfillment until you start doing what God created you to do. All right? So, uh, by the way, we have 258 people in this church serving in some capacity or another. That's amazing. That's why we're able to do all the things that we do because so many people are serving. Here's the next question. What am I not doing that I should be doing? The key to knowing God, did I already give you that? Okay, well, it's on my notes twice, so it must be something you should be looking at. The key to knowing God's will for your life is to be involved in something God is already involved in. Now, you need to know that I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to manipulate you into serving uh, and doing things so that we can have more people uh, doing this or that. I just want you to know, you will be surprised if you start doing God's will the way he made you to be. Clarity will come to your life as you serve, okay? Now, if you trust what I'm telling you, you will be faced with some decisions. So here's what you need to do. Put every decision to the test. Listen to this verse, 1 John 4.1. Dear friends, 
Do not believe every spirit. That means every impression, every voice that comes your way, everything that looks fun to do. See, here's the problem today. Nobody wants to tell anybody if they're not doing something right, they don't want to tell you you're not doing it right. They don't want to hurt your feelings. They don't want to make, listen, if you're disobeying God's word, face the facts and get in the fairway. Thank you, Pastor Doug. Okay. Instead, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Or they tell me what lines up with the word of God. So, Pastor Doug, how do I do that? Well, the good news is the Bible will give you very, it's, he's very vocal on this throughout the word of God, and it gives us tests that you can put your decision-making through. So whether you're trying to figure out which school to go to, what job to take, what person to marry or not marry, what all that is, and all, all that stuff, I'm telling you, there's six filters that you can but you can test to know what decision to make. So here's the first one. And this is probably the most important one. Am I in a right relationship with God? In other words, am I in the rough or am I in the fairway? Am I, and what, am I, what I'm saying is this. Start here. Start right there before making any decision. Ask yourself, am I living in a disobedience before I make the next decision? Uh, and I've had some people say to, say to me, well, I, I, I'm not right with God, but uh, I don't really want to get right with God because I'm wounded. Somebody hurt me or uh, somebody retaliated and betrayed me. Somebody did this to me or that to me. Listen, forget what people did to you. Just go to God. Get right with God. Look at Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, God's saying, once you come to my word, start thinking like I think, then you'll know my will. That's how it works. So that's the first one. Here's the second one. What does the Bible say? (laughs) Listen, the Bible should be your first source of counsel when it comes to God's will. I have people come to me all the time and they ask, uh, what... What do you think about me dating so-and-so? Well, you must not be thinking good about it or you wouldn't be asking me. That's what I say. So what happens is they come to me and I say, well, is he or she a believer? And here's the classic answer I get back. Well, I think so. Well, do you know so? Did you ask them, do you know Jesus? How did you come to know Jesus? Because a lot of Americans think, I'm a Christian. I was born American. So, do you know what this is called? Missionary dating. Because they'll tell me, I know if I date this person, I can lead them to Jesus. Just so you know, as a pastor, I've done hundreds of weddings over the 30-some years, and only two have worked out where the person came to know Christ. Only two. That's not very good odds. Because the Bible's clear that you shouldn't do that. So look at at 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. That's in the New King James. Here's the New Living. Don't team up with an unbeliever. Let me give it to you in the Passion Translation because I'm a little passionate about this. Don't continue 
to team up with unbelievers in mismatched alliances. Bottom line, my advice to you today, if you're in that situation, because of my years of experience, I've seen many relationships, hundreds of relationships, crash and burn it because they won't listen to what the Word of God says. Here's my advice to you. Slow down the romance. Just be a friend. And if they come to Jesus, then maybe something can proceed. Just, that's just a thought. Okay. Thank you. It's a weak applause, but that's okay. All right. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching. I know I'm not preaching to what people want to hear. But I'm giving you biblical advice. It wasn't popular back in my days in high school either. So God's word will save you from making bad decisions. Look at Luke 21, 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, which means we're all going to pass away. But my words will never pass away. So his words are eternal. They're eternal life. So read it and don't change what it says to get your way. I have people, even Christians will say, well, does it really mean that? And thank you. Yes, it does. And just so you know, here at HCC, we're not going to follow culture. We're going to follow God's word. Whether you like it or not, the Bible is number one. All right. Everything leads you back to Jesus. So, WWJD, I'm going to remember that. What would Jesus do? We used to wear bracelets so we could remember what would Jesus do because somehow you forget from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Look at these verses, James 3, 14 through 17. But if you harbor, that's the opposite of Jesus, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual uh, of the devil. For where you have Envy and selfish ambition. There you find disorder and every evil practice. That's why churches split. That's why divorce occurs. But watch this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, the spirit of Jesus, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. How many would like to be in a church like that? How many would like to be in a marriage like that and a family like that and relationships like that? Every decision should carry the heart of Jesus. Okay, here's th- test number three. Have I sought godly counsel? Have you uh, found someone that loves God more than you do? Have you found someone that to bounce this decision off of that will lead you more to Jesus? And I've tried to surround myself with godly people that are always more godly than me uh, I remember what Pastor Wendell used to tell me, don't confess down, always confess up because I'll take you higher. So you don't have to do what they say, but most of the time they have the wisdom you need. Here's an example. We could have bought the, is it Bymart that's over here? We could have bought that building. It was Rite Aid. It, it was empty for years. And so we were in this building for several years and I was getting frustrated. And so I, the, I couldn't find a big building for sale, but I found Bymart over there. And so I call the realtor. I go over there and I say, hey, uh, how much do you want for the building? 1.5 million or something like that. Maybe it was 1.8, but it was way up there. And so uh, I, I worked with this guy for months. And I came to the church and I said, I think we're supposed to buy the Bymart. I know your pastor can miss it. 
but it was the catalyst for us to raise money for the building. So I worked it down to $600,000. Yeah, that's what I said. And then the kicker was this. He calls me and he goes, uh, Doug, you know, we really want to do business with you. All we ask is that you and Lois will put your house, your cars, your bank account, all your savings on the line. So if this church doesn't make it, we get all your stuff. And I told Lois, I'm, okay, I'll do it. And Lois goes, you're crazy. You're stupid. Are you nuts? We're not going to do that. That was my first sound wisdom counselor. But how many know you discount your mate sometimes? Ah, that's just you talking. You don't have any faith, you know. So I went to Mark Cargill. He said, are you stupid? <laughs> then I went to Ginny Smith. She goes, are you kidding me? Don't do it. You're, that's stupid. Then I went to Rick Green. Are you stupid? So I almost did stupid. But we didn't sign it. And just a few months later, that's when this building came available in the seventh year. But it was a catalyst for us raising money. Okay. So I, I kind of missed it, but I didn't miss it. My wife said, you didn't miss it, honey. We wouldn't have raised the money had you not been stupid enough to think you could buy it. So anyway. <laughs> Proverbs 11, 4, 11 14. For, the, for lack of guidance, a nation falls. In other words... Lack of guidance is getting people around you who will agree with you. But many advisors make sure or make victory sure. Get people around you who will tell you the truth. Number four, do I sense God's peace? And the reason this is in there is because all throughout Old Testament and New Testament, God often speaks in a still, small voice. You got to get alone. You got to get with God. You got to get all the voices, everything out of there. And here's just a piece of advice that you need to hear, and that is this. Don't step outside of God's peace when making a decision. And I don't have to, you know, inside your heart, when God's saying no, and you also know when you say you're going to do it anyway. I remember we were getting ready to build another church building, and we were going to borrow three quarters of a million dollars. And I was scared to death because we only had $11,000 a month coming in uh, to, to that church. And uh, the payment was going to be $6,000. I don't know why the bank believed in us, but it did. And the one thing I've learned is when a church screws up, they don't remember the elders, but they sure remember the pastor's name. And so I didn't want it to be remembered for the pastor who screwed up financially. So uh, I went to the elders, and they, yeah, let's do it. Let's, we're in agreement. Let's do it. And I'm thinking, okay. So, but then Lois came to me. And Lois is very conservative financially. She came to me, and she said, this is God. We're supposed to do this. I said, are you crazy? Are you stupid? <laughs> and she said, I know this is God. So we borrowed the money, built the building, our payment was 6000 11000 come in. I'll never forget this. The first month in that new building, our tithes and offerings went from eleven dollars to $17,000. Came up exactly 6000 And we never looked back. And when they got rid of me, it was taken in 70000 Then it went down. No, I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> but let me just say this. When it went up and met that, that payment, I had the peace of God. And I realized, see, God answering prayers like that and stepping out when you know it's God, 
it, it brings his peace. And 1 Corinthians 14, says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Okay, here's number five. Is it my will or God's will? If you want to be a victorious Christian, you have to ask yourself, am I trying to get God to line up with my will or am I going to go with his will? And the only way to live a victorious Christian life is a surrendered life. And Jesus' example is in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying and he knows the cross is right around the corner in just hours. And he knows he's going to be tortured, spit upon, beaten upon. He's going to be whipped where his flesh is hanging out. He's going to have a crown of thorns put in his skull. He's going to be nailed and he's going to have a spear in his side. And yet, even though, listen to this, his will was not God's will. His will was, I don't want to do this. But he said this in Matthew 26, 39. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Lord, I don't want to do this. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. So this verse is telling us his will was not what God wanted, but he was willing to surrender his will to God's will because he loved his heavenly father more than he loved himself. And folks, I just want you to know, I try to be the best godly man I know how to be and a, and a godly pastor. But I have my struggles just like you. So I try to start out every morning by surrendering my will to my heavenly father's will because I know I can mess up. So every morning, I ask him for his wisdom, for his grace, that I might hear his voice and have eyes to see what he sees and I submit my will to his will moment by moment as best I can on a daily basis. In fact, every, every Sunday I will do this. I, I do it in my office, but I come out here. During worship, you might see me go like this. I'm saying, Lord, I step out of my will, I step into your will. I step out of my flesh, I step into your spirit. Fill me up, I want what you want, Lord. And, and guess what? God wants to bless someone who surrenders like that. And I'm convinced it's probably not you today, but people who aren't here today maybe, they call, them, they call themselves Christians who don't really want God's will. What they want is they want God to bless their will over his will. And God will never violate his word. So the way I say it is this way, and you can write this down, last one, number six. I want what God wants, period. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's what God's looking for for all of us. So how do I know God's will? Surrender it all to him. Let's stand. Now, I want you to know this because I've seen this so many times when I've wanted something so bad and I've tried so hard on my own to make it work. I just want you to know if you'll do it God's way, there's always peace on the other side. Always. There's peace in doing His will. In fact, did you know that salvation is simply surrender? It's when you surrender your entire will and your entire life to God. And you say, Lord, I don't want just forgiveness of my sins. I want your will 
over my will. That's what it's done. That's what it is. Okay, with every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe this morning you're not here by accident. God brought you to this place to get your heart right with him. Maybe it's for the first time or maybe it's several times where you've had to come back to the Lord because you surrendered your will, but then you took it back. And God's saying this morning, if you'd like to surrender your life to me, all of it, I'm here to take it. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment to say, God, that's me. I want to give it all to you. And if that's you right now, raise your hand and say, that's me. I surrender it all. Raise them high so I can see them. I see one, two, three, four, five, six. Any more? Seven. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's why I love doing God's will. Okay, let's all say this prayer together. You're not doing this alone as you surrender. We're here to help you live out your Christian life to serve God. So say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. Jesus, I surrender my will for your will. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, all my failures. Come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Now, if I could have some altar workers come on up here. If you need prayer for anything, you gave your life to Jesus, you need to tell somebody They'll help you get started on your walk with God. If you need healing in your body, healing in your marriage, healing in your finances, whatever it might be, come get prayer this morning as we spend just a few more minutes in worship.